But again, Joyce, a little bit tentative, Fletch. Gonna throw caution to the wind here and just double that jab up, throw that right hand and actually get to Zhang. But he's on the outside and again, slow footwork and it's suiting Zhang again. Also has put the little... Oh, what a shot! Right hand, Joe Joyce faced down. What a punch from Jan. Steve Gray counting it all over. Joe Joyce stops. An absolute haymaker from Gile Jan. Joe Joyce stops at Wembley. And that was an absolutely brutal ending. What a punch from Jan. Hey, and hey, welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where the runaway juggernaut came to a, a sudden, pretty brutal and savage stop. Um, you can call the RAC, Green Flag, the AA. It's a long recovery job. And I don't say that with any joy, by the way, because I like Joe Joyce. I, I like Joe. Um, he's kept that awkwardness that makes him quite compelling because I've heard people say on one hand he's quite simple mentally. And then you kind of see what he's achieved in life and there's just the sacrifices he's made. And you go, no, he's a very complex individual. There's a lot to like about Joe. But what we saw on Saturday was hard. Um, just zero win on that right hook that ended the fight. Now, I wasn't at the arena. If anyone was at the arena, please tell me what that sounded like. Because on TV, it sounded like something broke. It sounded like something cracked. That was... That was... I can't even describe it. It was just like a, like a, like a crackle. What, not like a whip cracking, but you know when they use really bad gunshot sound effects? It sounded a bit like that, and you're like, wow, that, that's pretty savage. And so I've heard people say, Joe's career's done, and now people, th th this is what boxing needs to stop. Joe can't go from being a top five heavyweight to he was never any good anyway. Like, I can't think of any position to hold that is more ridiculous than that. That is... is it's idiotic, right? But that doesn't mean that as fans we can't sit and start to unpick his career and start to ask searching questions. It doesn't mean that as fans we can't start to look into it. But here's something I do want to say. So boxing fans just have the context by which to view Joe Joyce's career. If Sid Khan looked at Joe week in, week out, session after session, and said he can make that style work. If Rob McCracken can look at Joe Joyce and go, he can make that style work. If Ishmael Salas can look at Joe Joyce and go, he can make that style work. If all three men across experienced thresholds of a hundred plus years in this game, can look at Joe Joyce and their collective wisdom says he can make this work, then 
there is a possibility you can make what Joe Joyce does work. <laughs> and it did. Up until he met Gilles Zhang, it worked perfectly. He, he obliterated people. He shattered prospects' dreams. He stopped people's comebacks dead in their tracks. Like he, he ended Joe Joyce's, not Joe Joyce, Joe Parker's top-level career. He ended it with that left hook. He ended it. He did more damage to, to Joseph Parker than Joshua and Dillian did combined. He did that. He had one of the hardest early career runs of any heavyweight we've had in this country. He wasn't protected. He wasn't wrapped in cotton wool like some of our other heavyweights. He, he went in hard. Because when it was all said and done, he backed his style, his strength, his power, and his work rate. He backed all of that. And it worked. And it was always going to work until he met somebody that could keep him away. Now, if you go back to 2020, I think that's when they were building up to Joyce versus Dubois. So around about this time, three years ago, we weren't talking about Joyce fighting Gilles Zhang. Zhang wasn't a factor. If you were looking at emerging threats, it was Hergovic, and you're thinking, ah, after the Olympics, Jalilov's going to come through. Because at that time, Jalilov had had his professional fights and was icing people. And so you're looking at those sorts of fights for Joe. Go, okay. And then you're looking at guys like Chisora. And so you're looking at all of these people for Joe. And in your head, you're like, I think Joe beats all of them. In your head, you're like, I think Joe beats Joshua. And I still stand by that. I think that is true. But at no point did we ever believe Joe beat Fury. At no point did we ever believe Joe beat Deontay Wilder. And people debated whether Joe would beat Usyk. Now, fast forward to today. All of that is true once again. I think Joe beats Hergovic. I think Joe beats Joshua. I think Joe beats everyone not called Zhang, Fury or Wilder. And the reason I say that is he can get to those guys. Joe will always be good against people he can get to. When there are people you can't get to and you're taking punishment, you become less invincible in your own mind. You become less bulletproof in your own mind. You don't believe in what you do so much and you start to doubt your training. You start to doubt your coaches. You start to doubt the people around you. And you've seen that in two fights where Joe's like, this has always worked for me. I never had to learn the boxing theory. I never had to learn the fundamentals because this juggernaut thing, this kind of Mexican Joe thing with your arms kind of moving around like, like those things on the, on the side of a steam train, the chugga, 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 all of that stuff there worked. It worked impressively. People thought he beat Yoko in the Olympic final. Now, I don't think he did for the reasons that Zhang showed. Anyone with a jab kind of keeps Joe at bay, and he looks busier than he actually is. It's just that Yoko had a bad ankle and he couldn't sit down on the shot. But paradoxically, maybe that's the fight they need to make now. 
seeing as both men are in the career last chance saloon, why wouldn't you just have those guys go head to head? You know, English-French rivalry. You never know, that might even be the World Cup final. Let's have something like that. Because Joe needs that. Right? Like he, needs, he needs that redemption path back. But we're going to come back to all of that. I want to talk about the actual fight itself. Because I think there's a lesson for everyone in how you prepare fighters here, right? And so let's just talk about the fight. So those of you that were tuned into the TNT podcast would have broadcast, not podcast, got it on the brain. You'd have heard Richie Woodall. The first thing Richie Woodall said is, what Joe has to do, no, I can't even do his accent. So he was just saying, Joe Joyce has to move to his left. Um, Boxing 101, like I, I, it's annoying that you have to explain that to, to people. If you know boxing, you kind of understand that. It goes back to the whole geography, geometry, and psychology. So Joe, actually, actually, let's just go back. I have never seen a man start a fight more confidently than Zhile Zhang did in that rematch. If you watch how he left his corner, Joe comes out like most people do, right? Fight stance ready, shuffles out, right? He's, he's fully orthodox by the time he goes to leave his corner. Zhile Zhang just strolled out to the middle of the ring. And when he was ready, he sat down in his stance and went to work. The confidence in the man. Like, go and watch that. When the bell goes, just watch how he gets to the middle of the ring. And if you've seen a more impressive walkout than that in terms of just confidence and belief, tell me. That told me everything I needed to know. That right there. And Joe allowed that to happen. Like he allowed Zhang to disrespect him that way. Joe looked nervous. But back to what Woodall was saying, you got to circle to your left. And that's kind of true. But you got to remember why you're doing that. You're doing that because you're trying to hold your opponent, right, in that middle space. So you want your backhand to be between their two arms. That's the position you're trying to hold. And to do that, your head and your body have to come to the left as well. So what was Joe doing? Joe was stepping left, but leaning right. So Joe was, Joe was moving his feet to get away from the punches and then putting his head back into the space he was trying to get away from. So he was in no man's land because... He wasn't doing what he did before where he just stood in the wrong space. Now he's just leaning in. And you can see Zhang going, at some point you're going to regret that, but not yet. I want to have some fun today. And, and Zhang played with him. And one thing I love about Zhile Zhang is he doesn't really drop his hands. Joe did. As soon as, as soon as he felt a bit of lactic acid in his shoulder, you could see that left arm go down. And Zhang was like, I'm going to cook this guy. I'm going to cook him. Played with him in the first round. And if you remember, at the end of the first round, go and look at how Zhile Zhang walks back to his corner. Like, he walked like he was 11 foot tall. And I was like, ooh. What a man. Second round. I think it was about 1 minute 32 left in the round, right? And that's when he set about his first attack. And he just smashed Joe with a straight left. And you, you saw from Joe's reaction... Two things. One, that shot was hard as hell. Two, 
he started to question his eye. And then the power went, the speed went. He tried to fight back. But if you notice, it wasn't that confident juggernaut style. Joe wasn't throwing four and five shot combinations. Because had he done so, he would have definitely landed on Jang. He just didn't have the belief to do that. And then there were a couple more clusters in that second round of Zhang just teeing off. Like teeing off on the juggernaut. And remember we said this about the Joshua Ruiz fight, that when you're, when you're getting beaten up, all those kind of layers come down. Those layers that you've been able to put in front of the world come down. The bravado, the toughness, the training, I'm this, the juggernaut, all that stuff starts to peel back. And the real you comes out. You saw that with Joshua in round seven in the first Ruiz fight where he was a guy who, he looked scared. He looked scared, he looked confused in that Ruiz fight where he was like, I've got all of this muscle, I've done all of this training, I've got all of these belts, how am I getting beaten up? I did what they told me to do, how am I getting beaten up? And you saw the same with Joe in that second round, that the layers started to come back and then the art student, the cheerleader, started to become more and more relevant, more and more visible with all, with all the layers that Zhang put on him. And it would have been interesting to see what would have happened had the fight gone on. Would, would Joe have just said, I've had enough? I don't know. Um, try not to speculate on that, but it's an interesting thought experiment. Then you get to that third round. So between the second and the third round, all the corner have to say is, Joe, keep your hands up at all costs because Zhang was keeping his hands up and so Zhang was catching a lot of shots on the arms and Zhang's got relatively short arms and a long torso. Joe wasn't really going to the body like that. But in that corner, I'd have said, Joe, keep your hands up. Then I would have just said, do you know what, Joe? He's going to hit you in combinations. So when you feel the first punch, You've got to have two or three defensive moves, yeah? Or you're going to get caught with the third or fourth shot. That's what I would have said. I wouldn't even told him how to attack. He already knows how to attack. But I would have stopped him getting tagged like that. Because as soon as Zhang started to beat him up, <laughs> it all went to shit. Pardon the language, if you're around kids or if you're driving a cab, sorry I had to swear, but that's the only word I could think of. It all went to shit. Zhang pings him with a left. Relaxes. Swings that right hook. Catches him clean on the jaw. You hear the crackle. And you knew it was it. Zhang knew it was it. That was one of those punches he just felt shoot up his forearm and he was like, Got him. <laughs> you want to juggernaut me? Juggernaut this. Pow. Walked off. Arm in the air. My work here is done. I'll see you guys in Macau. Done. And now we all look back with wizened old eyes and go, there's only so far you can go in boxing being a freak. We found that out with Deontay Wilder. There's only so far you can go being a freak. Freakish power, freakish chin, freakish whatever. There's only so far you can go. That next step, 
towards being able to hold your own at world level, that's really down to what you learned in your formative years. Did you learn how to defend? Did you learn how to move? Have you got defensive patterns? Do you know what's going to happen in situation X? Have you prepared for it? Have you been through all of these things? For Joe, the answer is no. Why? Because Joe hardly ever lost on his way up. It's very hard to change something that's working. It's very hard to, to look 15, 20 fights ahead and go, Joe's going to need these attributes. May as well start practicing them now. When he's like, but this style works against everyone. No one can handle what I can do now. Why risk changing it? And I get all of that, 100%. That is the, the right thing to say. But Joe was never given the tools to understand boxing. So he was never able, in his own mind, to understand how Zhile Zhang was able to keep control of him. And I can give you a very clear example. When Zhile Zhang clashes his jab with Joe's jab, orthodox versus southpaw, what he'd always do on that contact, his back leg would slide back. And that meant that even if Joe had tried to trigger off that contact, the punch was always going to fall short. And so Zhang would slide back, Joe would stay where he was, and Zhang could just come straight back and work. Or he'd come to the side, work another angle and go in again. This is what you do when you've been trained and you understand the underlying philosophy of boxing, which Joe doesn't, but Zhile Zhang clearly does. Because Zhang picked his moments to attack Joe. When he felt the intensity from Joe was dropping, he ramped up his intensity, gambling that Joe wouldn't go with him and Joe wouldn't respond. And he was right every time. Something unique about that, now I'm not going to sit here and tell you Zhile Zhang is the best heavyweight in the world, but he just beat a guy that was consensus top five. Easily. He just beat him easily. And we can speculate, we can look at it and go, why? I'll tell you the truth, right? For all the analysis we can do about Joe and all the obituaries we can write about his career, sometimes you just meet your nemesis. Everyone's got one. Now, you may go your whole life and never meet your nemesis, by the way, but everyone has got a nemesis. In football, Guardiola's got Klopp. No matter how great a team Guardiola builds, when he plays Liverpool, you know he's pooing his pants. Because what Klopp does, and if you look at this Liverpool team now, it's like back to the old Klopp. Because he's got, it's, it, there's energy from top to bottom. I'd actually argue that his weakness now is the back four. Because it's, it's a little bit older, a little bit slower. But midfield and attack, he's got monsters. And Guardiola will be scared of that because that's the sort of team that can pass their way beyond the press and just get straight at that back four. Right? So Guardiola's got a nemesis. Wenger had a nemesis in Mourinho. You know, just could never find a way around Mourinho. Mourinho had a nemesis in Pep. Could never really find a way around Pep consistently. And it's the same in boxing. Carl Froch will always be George Groves' nemesis. They could fight a hundred times, Carl will win a hundred. Carl Froch could fight Andre Ward a hundred times, Carl Froch will lose a hundred and fifteen times. Ali had a nemesis 
in Joe Frazier. George Foreman had a nemesis in Ali. Where no matter what you would have done, there's nothing, nothing that would have beaten him. That doesn't mean he's better than you, by the way. It means that he can beat you. His legacy may not be as good as yours. Like, Joe Frazier gave Ali as much trouble as anyone, as did Ken Norton. You can't compare the CVs. Ali's greatness is on a completely different plane. But Ali struggled against guys like that. That would be that. That's, and he knows that. Same way Joshua struggled against Usyk. Struggles with southpaws in general. Apart from Charles Martin, who decided not to be a southpaw, but stand like one. So what I'm saying is, everyone's got their nemesis. And we're not going to understand to what extent this was Joe on the decline, or this was just him meeting his nemesis, until Joe fights again. So that's why I'm not quick to write Joe off, because I want to see Joe jump in, and for once, don't put him in a hard fight. Put Joe in with someone that's middle ranking. I couldn't even tell you who that is now. You could put him in with a Dillian White, for example. Bring him back that way. Let's see where his head is at. Let's see where his capabilities are. Rematch with Joe, with Joe Parker. Let's see where he's at. Can, he's, can he bring that juggernaut approach with no fear? Or has Zhang put the sign over his head and just said, nah, he's vulnerable? I don't know. But let, let Joe have a fight that helps him rebuild confidence because... Joe's career has really been about taking risks. You know, just the fact that they were calling that Zhang fight a stay busy fight. <laughs> Especially after what he did to Hergovic. Let's be absolutely clear about that. Like, he, he should never have lost that fight. He gave Hergovic all the trouble he could cope with. And here's what made Hergovic a harder target. Hergovic can move. It's not elegant, it's not great, but Hergovic knows how to go backwards. Joe doesn't. Until Joe learns how to go backwards to come forwards, he's going to keep taking those shots. People say head movement. Oh, he doesn't move his head. He doesn't move his head. If you can move your feet, there's less pressure on you to move your head. It's simple as that. So I think overall, when you summarize that fight, I think Joe just met his nemesis. I don't think it's necessary that Joe suddenly British level wasn't that good. I think Joe was a top five guy. And I think against someone like a Joshua, he would look like a top five guy. Against someone like Dillian, he'd look like a top five guy. Against someone, uh, even like a Jared Anderson, he'd look like a top five guy. So what do you say? You say, give him another chance. Put him in with a Huey Fury. That's a guy about his size. Let's see what he does with a Huey Fury. These are all things to consider. But something I really do want to touch on is the importance of having the right people around you. Before I jump into the people around Joe, did anyone notice when, when Joe got put down in the third round, Frank Warren turns around to, I think it's George, sat on his left-hand side. And you can see Frank going, told you so. That's what I saw. He, he looked, Joe goes down, he, he's kind of flat on his face, and Frank turns to his left and is like, told you so. George is just there unmoved. And like, they, you can see them right there. Um, and then they're just sat next to loads of people with the red lanyards. I think they're the, the, the Frank Warren special people. You know, you know, Dev, where's my red lanyard? But I noticed that. And it wasn't like, like there was no other emotion. It was just, 
told you so. Um, and that's what happens when you don't really have the heart of your promoter. That's what happens when you're literally an inconvenience to the promoter because you beat his golden boy. See, I've always wondered who's really behind Joe. Um, you know, I'll, I always go back to to the genesis of it all. Now, when, when they were going to do Haymaker promotions and Haymaker management and all of that stuff, I, I was there and they said to me, this is what we want to do. And they showed me the list of people that were going to sign and they wanted to sign John Palata and then when Courtney Bennett was ready, sign him too. Um, we signed all the NDAs, sat there in the meeting, I mean, all of that stuff, right? And so we're like, sweet. Whoa, this is this is going to be quite a powerful entity. There were some names on there that people won't know about yet, but you're like, wow, this is good. And then as time went on, names got dropped off, JP got dropped off, Venom Page got dropped in, and so on and so forth. Things shifted around. So then we ended up going, this ain't worth our time. And that was Haymaker Ringstar, wasn't it? Because I remember Schaefer being there. So I always wonder, does Schaefer still eat off Joe? Does Davis still eat off Joe? Do these guys still get a check off Joe? Or does Joe get his money? Because I don't imagine Joe's making seven figures from these fights. He might be making a healthy six-figure sum, but he's still going to have to work after this if he stops boxing. So I don't think he can stop. So with all that being said, let's go back to, to the kind of the people he's got wrapped around him, right? S-Jam. All suspiciously quiet. Unbelievably quiet. You're the people who are meant to guide Joe's career. If you, if you go back in time, when he, Joe lost the first time to Zhang, they said, ah, Joe just wasn't himself. Some stuff happened behind the scenes. We'll put it right in the rematch. That's what they said. Right? Go back and look in the archives. That's what they were telling us. Joe was saying that in the interviews, things weren't going right. Fine. Okay. Everyone in boxing was saying, don't fight Zhang again. Just move past that. Like, go, go another route because that's your nemesis. I, I never believed for a second Joe could ever beat Zhile Zhang because the things he'd have to learn would take too long. Like, you're looking at two, three years down the line. By then, both men will be done. So if I know that, and those guys look at me as someone who just likes trolling people. Why doesn't his management team know that? And if his management team don't know and understand that, why is he managed by them? I don't see Joe as the brand ambassador for many things. Like, he's, he hasn't got a link deal. He's, he's not out there selling LucasAid. He's an Olympic silver medalist. He's not selling LucasAid. He's not selling Lynx Africa. He's not even the face of Morrison's. Like, Joe's nothing. He's not even like a... Not even the face of Popeyes, Wendy's, Shake Shack, none of that. So what are S-Jam doing for him? What are all of these people, these Adam Morales and that, what are they actually doing for him? He's a meal ticket. They've all been riding off the back of the juggernaut so they can take pictures at the UFC gym in Vegas and they can do this and say, look, we work in boxing. I'll stand on this now. S-Jam is an operation of people who I think are nice people over a beer. Imagine guys like Shane Watson, Adam Morley are great over a beer. They don't know enough about boxing. You really have to know boxing to be involved. Because all the people who have worked with Joe, you talk to the guys at Earlsfield, the guys at GB, they would have told you Zhang's all wrong for him. 
if they knew that, why didn't Team Joyce know that? Unless you're telling me Joe calls the shots and Joe said, I want that fight. In that case, then you just resign as a management team because you're not being respected. But Joe's got the wrong people around him. I don't think a change now is going to fix it. You kind of got to sleep in the bed you made. But there's a lesson for anyone in boxing. Rule number one, always have someone in your corner that doesn't make a penny off you. And you can go to them for advice and they will tell you their honest opinion. If Joe had randomly rung me and said, mate, do you think I should fight Zhang again? I said, no. Move on. Go fight someone else. It's only going to end the same way again. I would have got laughed at. But I stand on that. Zhilei Zhang is Joe's nemesis. That doesn't mean that he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. He's just his nemesis. And if you look at the energy that Frank's got now, where Frank's like, well, you know, we bought the contract of Schaefer. We're going to put him in with these domestic level fights. They're all top 10 guys. Frank's just trying to get some money out of the situation now. Because I, I don't think Frank's broken even on Joe yet. So Frank's like, no, 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 you want to keep working. But they've got to manage Joe carefully now. They've always been able to take risks with Joe because of his chin, his work, create his strength, his size, and all that sort of stuff. Now you've got to match him with care. You've got to rebuild that confidence in him. And maybe he does need a new training environment. I keep saying this about these guys. If you're not training around people who are young and hungry, like Jamie Shakiva, like Courtney Bennett, like David Adelaide, like Fabio Wardley, like John Palata, if you're not training around guys who want to come up, you're never going to stay on your toes. Now, I imagine Joe was probably sparring with, with Moses Atalma, but Atalma is not Zhile Zhang. As lovely as the kid is, he is not Zhile Zhang. And so, I feel a bit of a fraud because I've just talked about Joe. Now, let's talk about Zhile Zhang, who, before the Hergovich fight, he was just the guy we knew from being beaten by Joshua in the Olympics. Now you're looking at him going... Ooh. Ooh. put him in with anyone. I'm not saying he wins, but you wouldn't be afraid to put Zhile Zhang in with anybody. I will say this, though. I think he gets hurt badly by people like Wilder. He's there to be hit against more agile opponents. Fury will, will hurt him badly as well. I think Joshua stands a better chance against him than... Joyce does, but if Zhang hits Joshua, it's lights out. Like Joshua's not, <laughs> he'll get memefied if he were to get caught by Zhang. So I don't think he wants that fight. But the world is Zhang's oyster. I think he will be the new president of the Who Needs Him Club and he will be avoided. But if I'm correct, he's WBO interim now, right? So he can be knocking on that Usyk door anytime. Now I don't know if, if he's going to be able to do that to Usyk be fascinating if he could like if wow that would be intriguing but let's let Zhile Zhang have his moment in the sun before oh, I don't even know what time it is now. let's say it's 6 p.m on a Monday we're just going to wait for Eddie Hearn to to start talking about Joshua versus Zhang in China huge numbers 1.4 billion people because we could do 200 million pay-per-view buys <laughs> Um, but yeah, in summary, um, really feel for Joe. I think sometimes when you meet your nemesis, you've just got to make peace with the fact that there's a man out there you can't beat, but you can beat everyone else and you go after everyone else. 
Um, in terms of the rest of that card, not much to talk about. Tommy Fletcher doing press-ups in the corner. Why? Alice the Animal fighting a guy who looked about 65. He didn't need that, but I'm glad he got out because he's a great kid. Um, and these are the guys he should have been having in his first two or three fights. But I've always said, if you manage him properly, there's something there, man. There's something unique. There's something special there if he's managed correctly. Because the kid's tough, he's game, and he will hit you. Just want to see him be a bit more relaxed and a bit more accurate in his shot selection and so forth. But outside of that, I, I was out on Saturday, so I didn't really catch as much of that card as I could have done. So apologies for not being the, the super hardcore that other people tend to be. But I think that's a, probably as much as I want to talk about when it comes to um, Xile Zhang and Joe Joyce. But I do want to talk about Conor Ben. Um, because I think we're in a really interesting phase of the Conor Ben story. So, quick recap: Conor Ben gets suspended by the board, um, gives up his license, all this good stuff. Bit of a mess with UCAD, NADP people are appealing, yada yada yada. Some total Conor Ben is not going to be allowed to box in this country for a little while yet. So, what do they do? They get a Florida, they get a Florida license, and they have a show in essentially. Um, a meeting room in a hotel, right? Um, it wasn't even York Hall. Uh, it was just the sort of place that you'd have a wedding if you had to, if he decided had to pick sixty guests or whatever. That's the sort of place it would be, and they'd be dancing to "Come On Eileen" and all that. It wasn't all that. So, so Connor fights a guy Rothko, who they were trying to tell us. Well, in his three defeats, he's never been stopped. But the guy basically. <laughs> A guy's losing to, I don't even know, like the equivalent of Fonz Alexander, right? That's the sort of level he was probably losing to. And so Connor fights this guy and goes a 10-round distance. And I tweeted something like, funny how the power's not there when you're being tested constantly. And I, I just said that just to remind people that, look, the kid can still throw shots. It's, he's just not that guy that he thought he was. And that version of Ben we saw on Saturday night couldn't fight David Avenesian, and he knows that. That's why he won't be calling out David Avenesian. I have no idea who the hell he's going to call out, but it's not going to be Avenesian. Simple as that. So what do, you, what do we learn about the performance? Not much. If someone could punch back on Connor, I think he'd be in trouble. Um, I don't, as I've said before, I just don't think he's got that raw toughness that his dad had. Well, he can't have, man. Like, he grew up in privilege. That's why he speaks Spanish amazingly well. And actually, that's quite a nice touch when he switches into Spanish. I think that's actually one of the things I like about him. But in terms of him at 154, let him fight Tim Zhu. There you go. You want a big fight for him? If you can't make the Eubank fight, Tim Zhu. But I fell asleep after round seven in that fight because I'd been out. Right, and sometimes that brandy touches you a bit nicely at 2, 3 in the morning. So I just kind of conked out. So I didn't really see all of it. But let's, let's come down to what really happened. So as much as some people try to keep the secrets from me, I've got enough spies in Matchroom to know that there's been a fair bit of chatter at sort of, I don't even think it involves Matchroom anymore, but they're kind of reacting to it. So I know Ben Sr. had a conversation with 
a couple of guys in Miami, a couple of ex-pros who were trainers out of Miami, about his son potentially training out there because that's what the old man did, if you remember. He had that brilliant run in the early 90s where he fought guys like Doug DeWitt and he earned the respect of the United States fans. And so the conversation seems to be from Team Ben, and when I say Team Ben, I mean father and son. Son, maybe you need to stay out here because the UK ain't working for you. So maybe you need to stay in, imagine it'll be Miami, he stays, um, and have a few fights out here while that mess is sorted out in the UK. So I know that there have been conversations about certain trainers working with Conor Ben. I know there have been conversations that may even extend to management. It looks like there's going to be a reboot of Team Ben. That's as far as I, as far as I can say. I've heard that from a couple of different sources. There's going to be a reboot of Team Ben. Um, and I think the focus is going to be on the United States. Do not be surprised if Eubank versus Ben happens in the United States. Um, another thing, I think. The feeling, I think, especially, especially when it comes to Ben Sr., is Matcham didn't do enough to protect his boy. The view from Ben Sr. is maybe the Sims didn't do enough to protect his boy. If these are his management and promotional guardians, they didn't do enough to protect Connor, in some cases from himself, in other cases from the Baying Hordes. So I say all of that to say in very simple terms, Conor Ben is at this crossroads in his career. And the, the short to medium term will not involve the UK. The longer term might. It might not even involve Matchroom past a certain point. Because you have a young man who feels very let down by a lot of people. And while he doesn't share that out publicly, because remember he's a child of privilege and he understands how the game works, you don't burn your bridges... There are changes. So I can't see Tony Sims relocating to Miami. So there'll be a new trainer there. There's no point in not being in Florida if your license is in Florida. So I can see that being somewhere where they try and build something. Now, whether they get another license elsewhere, I don't know. But expect, don't expect to see Conor Ben in Sheesh anytime soon would be my estimation. And this is all kind of based on rumor and innuendo, some conjecture. But don't be surprised if Conor Ben doesn't come back to the UK for a while. Uh, don't know who he fights next, but like I said, I think that Eubank fight may happen offshore, but definitely not in the UK. On that note, let me, let me tap out and go and enjoy the rest of my Monday. I hope you guys have a great Monday. Didn't even think I'd make the pod out today, but luckily we've done so. And on that note, I'll say have a great day. And as always, if you like this, share it, let people know. We still need to get to 5,000 uh twitter followers come on man help me out with this help me help me help me uh take care guys